Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you for the first time from the new QI offices in Hoburn. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting here with Andrew Hunter-Murray, James Harkin, and here to cut the red ribbon and officially open the new Fish podcasting headquarters is the founder of QI himself, John Lloyd. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, that is Andy. My fact is that there was a job in medieval times called the municipal swineherd, who was effectively a professional pig walker for city dwellers who didn't want to walk their own pigs. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So... It's just a job that you used to be able to get. Before we go any further, actually, I should say this fact was sent in to us at podcast.qi.com oh. by a listener sent in by Andrew Salamoon. So thank you very That's much great. indeed for it, Andrew. Um, were they on leashes? No, I don't oh. think they were. That's a more difficult job then, I reckon, because you're corralling the pigs as well as walking them. It's difficult in that way, but it's also very hard, I imagine, to keep a pig on a leash if it doesn't want to be. Is it? Really? Pigs are very strong. But they're, they're also very intelligent and can be trained. You know, you can teach uh, a pig to dance. No, you're right. I, well, I, yeah, I don't think they were. They were, they were This was in the, the Sorry, John, Middle Ages. Can I just yeah. pick you up on you can teach a oh, yeah. pig to dance? Yeah, well, they're very intelligent. <laughs> they're, they're right at the top of the animal league, smarter than dogs, sheep and horses. They can be house trained, taught to fetch, come to heel. They can pull carts. They can sniff out landmines. Yeah, but <laughs> can I bring you back to the dancing yeah. point? Pigs can dance. Apparently they can, yes. Wow. Were they sort of like vaudeville acts or... It's mainly flamenco, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> they click their little heels together like castanets, you know. They wa- like watching television. They, they have their own favourite programmes, Pet Pigs. Peppa Pig? I don't know if Peppa Pig can watch television. No, so. I was wondering if Peppa Pig was one of their favourite TV shows. I'm sorry to be late to this, but the Foxtrotter would be uh, yeah. an example of a dancer pig could do. And um, South Park would be a TV show they might like. <laughs> there we go. Pork. No. <laughs> Andy, should we um, drag us away from this? Oh yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. Back into the Middle Ages we go. Hooray! Um, so these are, this are the first. These are the first professional pig husbands, I guess you would call them, in Europe. They were these village swineherds, and it was in a, in a time when everyone had their own pig. A pig was an amazingly useful thing to have. It was a waste disposal unit, but it was a waste disposal unit made of pork. What a delicious... Oh, so what, go, go into that a bit more? Well, you, you feed it leftovers and scraps from the household, and then when winter comes, you eat the pig. You it's like the pig if you can eat your wheelie bin. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, no, in the Flintstones, that's what they... The, ah. the trash is a dinosaur that eats the trash a sitting in a drawer. Well, so it's kind of like that. It's probably based on these academic studies of medieval municipal swineherds, yeah. <laughs> um, and th- and there, would be, there was a pig daycare thing, though, because you didn't, you, know, you didn't want to look after your own pig all day, mm. being a busy middle-class peasant in the Middle Ages and you would have a, a, a village swineherd who was rewarded with a uh, sucking pig each year and the entrails of any animal which had been slaughtered. Oh. So, What did the sucking pig actually do or is that a vulgar question? <laughs> <laughs> you said they could be trained to do anything John, is that? <laughs> but they, they are party animals pigs. Um, <laughs> some pig farmers keep lights on in the sty at night and when the farmers go home at the end of the day the pigs don't settle down, they start eating, drinking and having fun in the small hours. Oh, That's wow. actually their favourite show, the what? sty at night. <laughs> <laughs> 
um, actually, I read one cool thing about lights in pigsties, and that is to get rid of the smell in pigsties, you can paint it with titanium oxide paint and then fire UV light at the paint, and that will somehow break down the chemicals, which will stop it from smelling. And it's even better if you put a disco ball in the middle of the pigsty, it will fire the UV light out in all different directions, and it'll make it smell better more quickly. So, and you know why the disco ball's there because of the dancing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, medieval pigs oh, yeah. uh, don't look like our modern day pig. And oh. this is something that has led to a lot of annoyance in the world of academia because a lot of medieval scholars are constantly finding themselves, I say constantly, it's one guy as far as I can find, <laughs> uh, being pissed off by their representation within video games these days. Mm. So there's a lot of video games like Assassin's Creed Valhalla, there's Medieval Dynasty Foundation, where they represent pigs as a modern day pig. It's pink yeah. and it's hairless. It looks nothing like the pig is today. Minecraft? Uh, maybe in Minecraft. There are pigs in Minecraft. Swinecraft, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, actually, of the time, if we want to picture an old pig, uh, it's long-legged. Uh, they're quite small, long snouts, very lean figure. They had uh, arch-crested backs, and they had long curved tusks as well, according to this okay. academic. I suppose if you made them look like that in the video game, people might not realize they were pigs. Yeah, mm. and what you've described is a stalk, basically, <laughs> as far as I can tell. <laughs> wow, um, okay. do we know? But you mentioned, you mentioned yeah. Leeds. Did, did you, you know the thing about Gérard de Nerval, the 19th century French poet who had a pet lobster called Thibault, <laughs> which used to walk around Paris on a blue silk ribbon? So he did have a lead for the so lobster. He could walk on a lead. He was asked why he had a lobster as a pet, and he said, <laughs> "They are peaceful, serious creatures. They know the secrets of the sea, and they don't bark." And it was a very. <laughs> we know the it, secrets of the sea. <laughs> it was a very sedate job because I checked this out in lab tests. The maximum recorded walking speed of a lobster is two point five meters per minute, or one hundred and forty-four meters an hour. That's a good easy job, a, a professional lobster walker. Yeah. It feels like yeah. at yeah. some stage you would end up dragging the lobster more than walking it, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. You've got to get back for <laughs> lobster dragging. Yeah. Yeah. I did, the other day in um, in a big railway station, I saw someone who had a ferret on a lead. That was did nice. You? Yeah, which you do see occasionally. Yeah. You know, because they so do you need to pull it out of your trousers. <laughs> <laughs> I got sent a picture from my friend Emmy in Hong Kong of someone walking a lizard on a lead. Oh, really? Like one of those big, big lizards. What, like a Komodo dragon? Yeah, exactly. No. But not a Komodo no. dragon. Well, no, but, no, no, okay, no. But okay. like sizable. Is it a real lizard or a shape shifting lizard? It was, yeah, it was one of the members of the royal family <laughs> in, uh, visiting Hong Kong. Monitor, I guess. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Um, um, I went into my local. Sorry, now we're just bragging about animals we've seen lately. But I went into a, an aquarium shop the other day. Oh, yeah. I was trying to buy some... Um, Fish? Springtails, actually. You oh. know springtails, those tiny insects? Yes. Why do you buy those? I needed to fertilize some soil. Because um, <laughs> I, I, I did a terrarium workshop, and I made a terrarium. Anyway, I went in there to get my springtails, which were very cheap. Three quid for a big box of springtails. Anyway, they had an axolotl in there. Oh. I was staggered. Because I thought, you know... They're very Did rare. Did you not buy it? No. Oh, really? I didn't have anywhere to put it. And the guy yeah. who ran the aquarium shop was quite annoyed because he said when he doesn't have an axolotl in, people only ever say, well, do you, do you not have any axolotls? And then <laughs> when he does, they just come in and look at the axolotl and then don't buy it. You know, they treat it like a zoo. <laughs> that does feel like one person is going in there every week as a joke and asking for axolotls. <laughs> is, is an axolotl an amphibian? Uh, yeah, I think it is. It is. Yeah. 
because uh, they're, they're, yeah, they're extinct in the wild apparently yes they're, they're only in damage. two canals in Mexico City now really? yeah <laughs> and apart from zoos and the, the because I ask amphibians because another great medieval job was a, a frog stoner they used to hire people to throw pebbles into ponds to shut the frogs up at night <laughs> oh, <laughs> partying as well yeah, that's, that's so a, great the animal kingdom was all parties but I did think it's a bit of boring job for a, a pig walker in the Middle Ages, a, a municipal swine herd. Mm. Mm. And I thought we should come up with a better name. So there's some great um, uh, walking words. Plutch, to flap the feet while walking like a seabird from Shetland. <laughs> Prol, a short, enjoyable walk. That's from Kent. A proper stroll, I should think yeah, it stands yeah. for. Prol. Nice. Shulve, to saunter with extreme laziness from East Anglia. <laughs> To spandle, to leave wet footprints on a floor. Another Kentish dialogue. So do you think oh. swine spandler? Well, I think exactly, a hog plutcher. Hog plutcher. <laughs> you know? <laughs> there was this thing, like, so later on, after the medieval pig thing, urban pigs were, were a big deal. Basically, in Manchester, everyone had their own pig, and we know this partly because of Friedrich Engels, who was writing about oh, really? the conditions of the working class in yeah. England in the 1840s, 1845, and he wrote that that was the case. And another writer was describing North Kensington. And in, in the mid-19th century in North Kensington, pigs outnumbered people three to one. Really? Which is quite a lot. God, there's they more pigs in Spain now than humans. Really? Yeah. Pigs in Spain. <laughs> in the 1820s, there were more pigs in Manhattan than there are cars in New York today. Wow. Wow. Well, you know the yeah. movie The Wolf oh. of Wall Street? <laughs> no, was it previously going to be called The Three Little Pigs of Wall Street? <laughs> it, it, should, it should have been called that as a prequel. The prequel would have been that, exactly that, because um, The Wall of Wall Street initially was a wall, right? This is when the Dutch were there. Oh, right. And they built, yeah, they built this wall, and this was during the 1600s, so 1653 to 1699. As they were building the wall, um, there was a picket fence that was there before. A picket fence? <laughs> a picket fence, yeah. And it kept getting knocked down by pigs. So it was a huge problem. And they brought in municipal swine herds to try and curb it. And that didn't happen. So then they had to decree that you had to keep your pigs at home until the construction of Wall Street uh, was built. Wow. So cool. the Dutch thing, New Amsterdam, I happen to know that there's a Dutch word, utwein, which mm. means to take a bracing walk in the wind. Isn't that a lovely thing to have oh, a word nice. for? Mm. Good. Yeah. And then the Dutch for pig is big. Is it really big? Yeah, big. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. You're learning Dutch at the moment. I right? am, yes. <laughs> yeah. What was the phrase? <laughs> what was the phrase you gave us just before the show started? Who weten we of the deer in the deer in sein? Which translates as How do we know if the animals in the zoo are happy? <laughs> great. Very philosophical people. Do you know truffle pigs? You've heard of truffle pigs, yeah. right? Yeah. That hunt for truffles. And in the Middle Ages, they didn't, they did hunt for truffles, but they ate them because nobody in the Middle Ages ate truffles. They thought that was weird. So they, I agree. Huh, they were <laughs> foxes, badgers, wolves, uh, wild boar, pigs, and rats ate <laughs> truffles. And they only came back into favor in the Renaissance. So I got interested in truffles. And <laughs> Rossini, the composer, called the truffle the Mozart of fungi which is rather nice, isn't it? Oh. And he claimed to have only cried three times in his life, Rossini. Once when his first opera was booed, once when he had Paganini play the violin, and once when he was picnic on a boat and the truffled turkey fell overboard. LAUGHTER <laughs> 
Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that the comedian Bob Hope was so reliant on his writers to come up with jokes for him, he even had them provide bespoke one-liners for his social life. So, we all know Bob Hope. A lot of people don't these days. <laughs> Just in case. Just in case. Just it, it fell on stony ground, and let's move on to the third fact. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bob Hope... So, you said comedian. Yeah, right. Bob Hope was possibly the biggest comedian in the world. He was huge. <laughs> he was huge. He lived to 100 years old. He hosted the Oscars 19 times. He Whoa. was a box office hit during the 40s. Uh, number one movie at one point in the 40s was a Bob Hope movie. Um, he received, it's estimated, 38,000 fan letters per week during the 1940s. This is how loved he was. Um, but he's the person who effectively created the idea of the modern stand-up monologue where he incorporated himself the audience the situation around him the topical news of the day and he used to hire so many writers he was he was the first person to acknowledge he had writers as well properly he would he would mention hold the cue cards up higher you know during his act be quicker on that you wouldn't say that if my writers were here those kind of lines mm. and um yeah and so so much was he reliant on it that as i say even if he was going on like a golf game and he knew that he had some powerful <laughs> ceos there that he wanted to impress they would write these jokes for him and he would memorize them and bust them out as if they were ad-libs great idea yeah oh, i'd love that he would gotten a lot of stick from other comedians the lenny bruces and the the growing world of comedians who were auteurs and wrote their own material because they saw him as an actor as opposed to a comedian but i i'm a big fan of the way that he led his life i think and his comedy life particularly i think that he innovated so many things so if he was going to play in a town he would send his writers ahead days ahead and they would scope around the whole town they would look at the local shops they would meet the local people and they would base the material they wrote for him <laughs> on that it would have been weird though if he's doing a joke about the local hardware Is shop it? no i think that's How? well do you remember like when we went on tour we would do facts about the local town oh yeah but that that was good that was great that was you know yeah. that was, <laughs> completely different um john did you ever meet bob hope yeah, uh, no but i spoke to him really yeah uh, one christmas eve i used to produce a live um radio 2 show called late night extra when i was very very young sort of 24 or something like that 23 even and um and I was producing one on Christmas Eve and I had the best address book in the world probably it was amazing and uh, everybody's singing for some reason I had Bob Hope's phone number so I phoned him up in California wow. on Christmas Eve and said hey Bob how's it going and he goes who is this who is this and I said it's the BBC in London Mr. Hope and he goes oh hi there <laughs> hi guy how are you <laughs> he was great have you still got the number let's call it that no. <laughs> <laughs> so it picks up but he was interesting that the way, his attitude to write, he paid them very well. He did acknowledge them, but he didn't think the writing was the big deal. He said creating the character was the thing, and the lines were just mm. something that the character said. Yeah. Weirdly, a lot of people in recent biographies say that he was terrible at paying his writers. That was sort of an oh, really? idea that he was really good. Yeah. Uh, Jack Benny would pay two writers the same amount, Jack Benny being another giant comedian of the day, the same amount that Bob would pay 20 writers. And what he'd do is he'd find yeah, young Didn't writers. you say that Jack Benny hated him because he had writers? Not Jack Benny, no. Oh, I thought you said people like Jack Benny. Lenny, Lenny Bruce. Bruce. Oh, Lenny, Lenny Bruce. Bruce. Yeah, okay. yeah. Jack Benny and Lenny Bruce are both double first neighbours. Yeah. Like Craig David or David Cameron. Anyway. <laughs> do you know who Bob Hope's most famous writer was, at least the one I'd heard of? No. Larry Gelbart. Oh, yeah. Oh, who's but that? When he was very young. He was the guy who wrote M.A.S.H., Oh wow! Okay, and he Bob Pope. One of the things he used to do was tour. He was basically he, not only, as you say, Dan, did he sort of invent stand-up comedy, but 
the touring American forces in the 40s and 50s was also a thing that was really nobody ever thought of doing that yeah. before and he did a lot and he did and he La- Larry Gelbart worked for him as a very young man and he was inspired by a tour of the Far East to uh, to, to write MASH yeah Bob Hope famously used to do a Christmas show that he would do from the front lines of wherever yeah. a war might be going and after a war while while people were still stationed out there yeah. so most comedians and acts would go out while it was wartime and he kind of continued on so he died age 100 he did 48 Christmases out on the road so 48 of his Christmases were spent in a wow. different country performing to troops and one of them speaking to John Lloyd and so. one of them yeah, speaking yeah. to Lloyd yeah. yeah but this is in a way like being in a war zone <laughs> <Yeah>. you know <laughs> but you're sorry Hope you Christmas should have been the name of the show. Happy Christmas! <laughs> Don't think it ever was. <laughs> got to get forty-eight goes to get that, and yep. you didn't. Never got there. Never got <laughs> there. That's a shame. Exactly. Um, Hope is a first name, by the way. Is it? Yeah, it's a woman's name. Bob Hope joins the ranks <laughs> of. Uh, <laughs> um, well, but I was reading that about the the, the Whoa, wartime sorry, thing. Sorry. Oh, Ge- sorry. Jerry Lewis, two first names. Jerry Lewis. Yeah. Dean Martin, two first names. Yeah. Yeah. Did they all have first names? That's that's extraordinary. Frank Sinatra, no. But he's not a comedian. Great point. All right, on we go. The thing about his war shows. Andy Murray. Oh, that's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, can yeah. be. Yeah, so yeah. it's not always comedians. Yeah. John Lloyd. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. John Lloyd, yeah. I think John, John Lloyd and Andy Murray are in those weird categories. Like Lloyd and Murray are kind of first names and kind of surnames. You know, they can be both. Yeah. Uh, it's not the pure simplicity of a, a Craig David. Agreed. Okay. <laughs> did you have something? Come I on. Did, did, yeah, I did. Well, no, I was just going to say what was particularly touching about the war shows is that for a lot of parents, brothers and sisters, whatever, friends at home, this was the only time that they were able to see possibly one of their family members who was off at war on camera during Christmas time. Oh. So a lot of the 38,000 letters that came to Bob Hope was from people saying, I got to see my boy sitting there in the crowd laughing at your jokes and he didn't make it. He's He lost his life Gosh. to the war. Thank you for giving me that moment where I could connect with him. So. They were really important shows to America at the time. His last military gig was in 1990 when he went to the Gulf at at the age of... 87. 87, yeah. And lots of the troops in the crowd for his final gig, they had fathers who had seen him in Vietnam and some of them had grandfathers who had seen Bob Hope in the Second World War performing. I just It's mad, the idea that you go to a gig and your grandfather saw the same comedian. Yeah, I mean, yeah, lucky that, that you managed extreme. to get two generations that they didn't die in the wars, yes, to be honest. True. Yeah, yes, that's true. Yeah. Um, um, while reading about this, I found my favourite new human. Uh, yeah, just like, it's an exciting character. So this is to do with the writers and so on. It's a guy called Barney McNulty. Right. Bob Hope used to bring him everywhere with him. What do you think he did? He was part of that team. So not a writer. He's not a writer. Was he a boxer? Because Bob Hope was a boxer before he was a oh, comedian. Yeah. He was, you know but no, he wasn't no. a boxer. Did he point out whenever he met anyone who had two first names? <laughs> <laughs> no, this good, is... I could do with one of those guys, James. Yeah. I'd love that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you could be one of those guys, Andy. Oh, I dream, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, what's uh, someone like a, a, just a personal you know assistant like Foot a rubber. Batman or yeah. a so what Barney McNulty was yeah. was the cue card guy and right. everything oh. was written on cue cards oh, and Barney, Barney McNulty is acknowledged with having invented cue cards basically no one ever <laughs> delivered <laughs> monologues on TV before with cue cards right. and Barney McNulty was the guy to do this he said doing it was like it was like a like handling snakes 
you had to work with the rhythm of the comedian you had to have the font big enough in your writing like and so a snake on. yeah because you said the comedians are wriggling around they're they're improvising they're changing you don't know where they're going to go it's, it's like kind an of autocue like person. an autocue yeah like a modern day autocue person because sometimes the autocue can be done too fast or too slow and yeah, the presenter sure. gets in a tangle and then yeah um, yeah, yeah autocues are boring them it should be called a mcnulty shouldn't yes. it? McNulty, yeah so mcnulty was so important to him steve allen who's another comedian of the time said that he was once at a barbecue steve allen Yep, Steve Allen. Oh yeah! Oh, this nice. is—you've uncovered a scene. <laughs> <laughs> once, was... The problem is, once you start seeing them, you can't stop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've been this way for years. Yeah. <laughs> so he was at um he was at a party, a barbecue with Bob Hope, and Bob came out and suddenly just did an improvised speech to all the people. It's night time. He's yeah, thank you for coming, and he's doing all these jokes. And Steve said he's he's hearing these jokes and he's thinking this is a pretty worked out monologue, but it's pretty topical. Uh, turns around, he says he notices sitting in the bushes with a flashlight and some cue cards <laughs> is McNulty <laughs> hiding away, giving him the wow. cue cards to do it. Um, so I haven't really said very much in this part because I don't really know anything about comedy, <laughs> uh, but I do know a lot about golf. Uh, <laughs> and Bob Hope used to love golf. He did. And that's did. really yeah. kind of all I knew about him is that he was a golfer. Yeah. I read that. You know Alan Shepard, the um, the astronaut. The yeah, golf ball on the moon, he yeah. hit a golf ball on the moon, and according to Bob Hope, it was his idea. No, really? yeah, he said that um, he was once speaking to Alan Shepard, and he used to kind of always carry his golf clubs around him, kind of just yeah. to. That was his thing. He would. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he reckoned that Alan Shepard got the inspiration by watching <laughs> him swinging his golf club. He was. On the Mike Douglas show, when Tiger Woods first appeared on television when he was two years old. So Tiger Woods was a little dot and he was kind of hitting golf balls. And everyone was like, look how amazing this little kid is at playing golf. And Bob Hope was on the show when that happened. Wow. So he's there for the start of Tiger Woods. And apparently on his first date, he was so nervous, he would just sit and draw golf holes on the tablecloth. <laughs> Uh, no. And he did it so much that they made him pay for the tablecloth wow. because he drew all these golf holes on it. Oh, that's so great! He certainly claimed um, there were golf holes later on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> these, oh, they're um, <laughs> an Alan Shepherd with, of course, a job in the Middle Ages. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was your job on QI, John. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that the unarmed stick insect has an infinite number of arms. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Okay, so what? what I'm not saying it, anything else. That's it. it. That's it. Why Does it, it play cool? golf? <laughs> <laughs> infinite is a big yeah, word. That's a big word. I was going to say that. It's a long word. Yeah, it's a full eight letters. I don't mean that. It's. <laughs> it's no. The thing is, I would say stick insects can regrow their limbs. Yeah. Theoretically. Right? Theoretically. Theoretically. Yeah. <laughs> possibly forever you know if you if you keep chopping them off they'll keep growing yeah them. the main body doesn't live forever does it or does it no 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 i think probably we would reach a time limit and the other thing like about like, a week well because they would die but the other problem is they can only do it when they're young okay oh. um but they could keep doing it and doing it and doing it if you kept chopping off all the limbs yeah hell of a shock to your juvenile stick insect the first time it chops an arm off and it doesn't grow back it thinks yeah. oh no now I'm officially no longer a juvenile yeah you know. it must be oh, a... you must get used to operating with complete impunity it's a real coming of age yes. moment isn't it <laughs> yeah 
Um, so they can keep regrowing their their arms. Another question is, do they have arms or are they legs? <laughs> yeah, it's called unarmed. Is there a reason why it's called unarmed? Uh, yeah, because it doesn't have defences. Yes, it's unarmed oh. as in weapons. Yeah, yeah. I, to be honest, it's just a silly thing because I noticed it was called unarmed and I remembered that they could keep regrowing their arms. So, yeah, that's so great. But I just thought, let's talk about stick insects because stick insects are awesome. Yeah. These, um, these ones, these unarmed stick insects are the most common stick insects found in Britain. Are they? Oh, wow. Okay. Yes, they are. Uh, because we have no native stick insects in this country. Uh, but one of them accidentally got brought in some timber from New Zealand in the 20s. Right. Uh, and they reproduce parthenogenically, so they don't need more than one of them to create more and more and more of them. Okay. It's really pleasing that it came over in some timber disguised as a smaller disguised. stick in a load of larger sticks. That's brilliant. There was probably a guy at the port just counting all of these sticks and go, we've got one too many. <laughs> so these were discovered, they were discovered in New Zealand in 1955 by a man who also, like this misnamed animal, uh, is called John Salmon, not a fish. But <laughs> That's amazing. he is responsible for discovering, the, so there's, there's a Wikipedia list of stick insects of New Zealand, oh, yeah. of which there are 23. Mm -hmm. John Salmon discovered nine of the stick insects of wow. New Zealand. Oh, yeah. You do find the same people come up again and again. When you look at all the different species of stick insects, mm. it tends to be the same people. It's almost as if no one else is, is looking <laughs> yeah. for stick insects, right? Yeah, or maybe exactly. they're specialized because they're quite hard to see. They're so hard. So I was reading about um, leaf insects, which are oh, similar yeah. you know mm. they look and they yeah. are unbelievably realistic leaf mm. insects as in they attach to a tree where they look exactly like that leaf yeah. and they have little bitten out edges so it looks like an insect had so amazing. but lots of experts on leaf and stick insects have never seen them in the wild it's quite tragic really so there's a guy called Royce Cumming who's a world expert on leaf insects he's never seen one in the wild um, because what you know? It's I really mean, because you, really you can't just check every leaf. <laughs> that's, the problem. that's exactly it. Yeah, it's a nightmare. If you want it's to get stupid. a new sample. they should have gone for like yeah, elephants. Elephants. <laughs> Sick insects feature in Maori myth. Yes. yes, right. Quite a few times, and uh, just something I just happen to know about Maori, the language, which is the Maori for nuclear warfare is umu pongi pongi <laughs> right I didn't think they would have a word for it but they do your no. duolingo is very bold <laughs> and far ranging no, this Tom. is a dictionary <laughs> this is not duolingo other language apps are available memorize etc um when stick insects feel under threat oh yeah they will play dead yeah. or be more like a stick than usual basically <laughs> hmm. and i found a, a an insect owning website which had a problem page and the problem was is my stick insect playing dead or has it died <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or is it in fact a twig <laughs> yeah. yeah we used to have stick insects when i was a kid oh, really? pet and stick did insects. you yeah yeah and it is i mean they did die i'm sorry to say quite regularly yeah. Um, they didn't live very long. I hope that wasn't due to our bad husbandry, but... Or did they die very frequently? Yeah. Maybe they were just trying to get themselves thrown we out. We usually but... check. I don't know what your FAQs will say, but yeah. for us it was usually when there weren't many poos for a few days. Well, that that's was good. That's that a good one. What's a poo look like from a stick insect? It's just like a black dot. Right, nice. Mm. Yeah. Well, this, this advice, basically, if they're threatened, they fold their legs up and they paralyze themselves and they often fall off the branch to the foliage. Huh. But that happens if they get surprised. If they face any surprise mm. at all, they'll play dead. So you either wait to see if the color has changed 
because that is a sign that they can't do that by themselves. Can so. the leaf insects change color in the autumn? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and the other thing you can do, this is just a bit of advice, is to stimulate the insect's mouth palps, which are these small organs oh, near the mouth, which are incredibly sensitive. And if you stimulate those, it will it will make a sudden oh, movement because it, it hates that. And if not, it has died. I'm slightly um, <clears throat> moved by all these, uh, you know, pets and things dying because... Yeah. I was my dad was in the navy. We never had pets, so when the kids were small, we um, won a goldfish at a fair in mm. Chipping Norton. It was called Chippy the fish. Oh. I loved this little fish, and it got something wrong with its swim bladder, and I was really heartbroken. I was very sort of you know anxious about it, and so I <laughs> used to take it to the local vet in a bucket in Hammersmith, and uh, so I was sitting there in a bucket, you know, this little goldfish in a tiny little thing. <laughs> fair goldfish was it on a lead no <laughs> <laughs> and all these people would be there with salukis and parakeets and you know horses and things like that and, and the vet's assistant would come out and say um mrs campbell rouse and montmorency the third <laughs> somebody would get up with an antelope or something <laughs> and it came to me and she go mr lloyd and fish <laughs> <laughs> and after about four visits, and what he used to do, the vet, was oh, inject sense. this goldfish with something wrong with its swim bladder with the tiniest yeah. little hypodermic syringe you've ever seen, about two inches long. Yeah. And after the fourth time, he said, Mr. Lloyd, I'm afraid there's nothing more I can do for fish. He's going to take his chances. Oh, because that is a problem with goldfish, isn't it? They get these swim bladder problems and they'll kind of float to the exactly. surface and, and sometimes go, go upside side, down yeah. and people think that they're dead mm. but actually they're not dead they can be you know they can have their swim bladder pricked oh, and will joking. come back and so people flush their fish down the toilet but they're not actually dead mm. they probably don't flush very well either because they are quite buoyant that stage oh no but yeah mm. it's terrible. public service yeah i was just thinking mr lloyd and fish is basically this episode isn't it hey. <laughs> <laughs> very good did um, you know that um children human children can regenerate fingertips did you i was astounded oh, when yeah I found yeah it. yeah i had heard that and many doctors don't know that so that they just grow back their fingertips if you cut huh. them off yeah up to a certain, it's kind of much like the stick insect. You don't want to. There's a there's a cut it's off under point, a certain isn't age, it? and it's yeah. under a, it's a certain amount of the finger. I think it's not it's not at the base, but it's the top joint. Yes. Yeah. Or yeah, the fingernail. Yeah. If there's only a tiny bit of the fingernail left, the whole rest of it can grow back. Wow. So human children have infinite fingers. <laughs> yes. And it's a it's another. Don't try this at home, isn't it? It's, uh... <laughs> uh, speaking of children, have you guys heard of John George Children? <laughs> No. He was a famous entomologist of the early 19th century. Uh, and there's a stick insect called Children's Stick Insect, which is named after him. No. Yeah. Uh, he was, a, as well as an entomologist, he was a biologist. Uh, and one amazing thing he did, in 1815, he travelled to the battlefield of Waterloo, just after the battle, and he purchased a tree under which the Duke of Wellington had made his headquarters. Right. And so he basically what had happened was the what the battle had happened and everyone had gone away and loads of souvenir hunters were going in and sort of chopping bits off this tree. Uh, but he actually went and bought the entire tree and had it made into um, furniture by, <laughs> by Chippendale, Thomas Chippendale. Wow. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Was it called the Waterloo tree? Was that what is that? The uh, it was called the Elm, Waterloo Elm. Waterloo Elm. Yeah. Mm. That is. Wow. And I thought I'd see if John George's children had any children. <laughs> and he did he had a daughter called Anna Atkins and she was the first person we think 
uh, possibly to publish a book illustrated with photographic images. Mm. Um, she was a friend of Fox Talbot, who made one of the first cameras. Uh, and she made a book in 1843, which had photos in it. Can you guess what the book was about? Uh, uh, first ever book with photos in it. Insects, oh, the Battle of Waterloo. Birds. Uh, it's got to be birds or something. Um, uh, something slow moving, tortoises. Twigs. Twigs. <laughs> Children, children, children. No, it's like it was something very slow moving. Oh, ri- uh, ri- rivers, tortoises, tortoises. rivers. <laughs> it's very leisurely rivers, um, <laughs> meandering river. Yeah, um, something slow moving. Slugs, smaller. The big book of slug photos. Um, smaller than a smaller slug. Than Lobsters. Slug. No, no, no. That's they're bigger than slugs. Smaller than a slug. Oh, yeah, there are things. Snail. Is that smaller? That's about, it's the, about same the same size. size. Yeah. Oh, come on. I mean, much smaller than a slug. Oh, uh, worm, worm, tiny worms, smaller, smaller than worm. Oh, um, oh, 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 parasitic wasps. They're tiny, tiny, tiny. I think a bit bigger than that. I, I'll what, tell what you. Those water bears. Those like my tardigrades. Tardigrades. The big book of tardigrade photos. <laughs> that was the first ever, ever yeah. photograph. Was of a tardigrade. No, it was of algae. Oh. It was. Um, her book was called Photographs of British Algae, Cyanotype Impressions. And it came out in October Good. 1843, and that was the first ever book illustrated with photographic images. Right, very nice. I'm still rec- my heart rate is still recovering say, from that. I was about to thrilling. say, isn't it great how these quizzes really get you feeling like you're doing exercise? Absolutely. <laughs> they pump me up. <laughs> these things are always so. When you do these dives into things like regeneration, for example, it's so miraculous, isn't it? And all the all the creatures that can axolotls and salamanders mm. and sharks uh, regenerate teeth all the time. And um, cockroaches can grow uh, new legs. Did you know that? No. Mm. Um, and cockroaches have got a bigger genome than people. Okay. And they taste, the <laughs> inside, the innards of a cockroach, it tastes like blue cheese. Really? Oh. Amazing, yeah. Um, and axolotls, they've got 30 billion base pairs in their genome. That's 10 times as much as we have. That's amazing. Wow. Do you think have... that guy who was selling axolotls in your shop only mm. had one of them and he kept selling it but keeping a leg so that it would <laughs> regenerate to a new one? And, uh, what a brilliant business model. <laughs> That's how I'm thinking. They're also, the axolotl gets its name from the name of Quetzalcoatl's dog. Does it? Yeah, Quetzalcoatl had a dog called Axolotl. Did he think when he went to the vet, it was (laughs) Quetzalcoatl and Axolotl? (laughs) Unarmed stick insects, obviously a badly named insect. Oh, yeah. Mm. And I just wanted to mention one I found the other day, which is the so-called whispering bat. (laughs) The so-called whispering bat's call is as loud as a chainsaw or a leaf blower. (laughs) But the reason it's called the whispering bat is because it's too high-pitched for us to hear. Oh, thank Ah, God. Other bats find it deafening. Yeah, right. That's funny. (laughs) There's so many classic animals that are completely misnamed. So a few that I found, electric eel. Yes. Not an eel. No. Ah. It's a knife fish. Uh, The horny toad. Yep. Lizard? Uh, it's a lizard. Doesn't have Absolutely much right. sex. Doesn't have much sex. <laughs> Very sad. King cobras? Not not royals. <laughs> uh, not cobras? No, not really? Cobras. Wow. Yeah. Skipjack tuna? Not a tuna. Really? Is it really? But that's the one that's always on all the tins, isn't it? It's not a tuna. It's a completely different genus. Really? Hmm. Huh. Mountain goat? Not a mountain. No, not a goat. <laughs> Really? What? No. The list goes on. Yeah, it does actually. Mantis yeah. shrimp, neither a shrimp nor a mantis. American buffalo is not a buffalo but a bison. Yeah. Do you know the difference between a buffalo and a bison? <laughs> no, I don't, Mr. Hope. What is that? You can't wash your hands in a buffalo. <laughs>
<laughs> okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is Lloydie. So, I, I struggled to decide which fact to give to you, and I just want to give you some that I didn't choose in the end. Because <laughs> um, I don't want to waste them. Uh, to keep warm in the 16th and 17th centuries, boys at British public schools burned the furniture. It's horrible. <laughs> a bit like my school. John Denver's wife, Annie, claimed to have fallen in love with him despite his songs, not because of them. <laughs> That's very sad. And Toadsuck, Arkansas, recently won a survey to find America's most unfortunate place name, beating Belchertown, Massachusetts, Climax, Georgia, Hooker, Oklahoma, and Roachtown, Illinois. Well, I'm glad that you didn't do that lowbrow one, John. But what, <laughs> what, what is your actual fact this week? My fact is... 45% of Britons do not know where their rectum is. <laughs> now, this uh, was according to a poll of 2,000 British idiots, uh, adults, <laughs> commissioned by Pall Mall Medical Private Healthcare in January 2023. Only 55% of men and women in Britain can confidently state where their rectum is. And only 50% know where their reproductive organs are. No. That is impossible. No. Now, I can sort of understand why this might be, because they don't know what the words mean, rectum yeah. and reproductive organs. But according to the survey also, an astonishing 37% of Brits cannot say where either their heart or their brain is. I yeah. mean, well, my brain is in my reproductive system. <laughs> <laughs> um, is Because there's that saying, isn't there? He couldn't find his ass with both hands. Yes. Yeah. And what we're saying is that 45% of British people. I don't fall think into we're that. saying that because to find your rectum with your hands <laughs> is quite an invasive <laughs> thing. <laughs> well, I did look it up because I thought, okay, well, uh, that, how ridiculous that is. But I didn't know until yesterday which part of the rectum is. You, but you know, you've all looked that up. So it's not actually what you think. It's not the. Not the, the anus. Yeah. It's it's in it, there's the anal canal with the anus on one end, and the other end is the rectum, which is basically the poo park where the stuff <laughs> that comes down the colon is being digested all the way, and then it goes into the rectum, which yeah. is exactly it's the storage thing. Right. Until, okay. Is that a medical yeah. term, the poo park? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, same with um, same with vagina, I think as well. Like people think it's the opening, but it's mm. the yes, is the tube. It, so that's interesting. I thought the rectum was connected from sort of the bottom of the intestine right to the no, opening. I thought no. that whole thing. Okay, we've covered what? this. We've we've covered what, them. Count them. me yeah. as one of the fifty-five. The thi the interesting thing about this survey was it wasn't testing can you find this. It was saying no. are you confident that you could locate where yes. organ ah, X is. That's interesting. And so, and eight percent eight percent of people said they could confidently identify none of them. None organs. of them. They were they just said no, I couldn't identify but any. Surely the brain. The brain. Everybody must know it. You would rough. think so. Yeah. It's, that's just people with no confidence. Right. Exactly. Might, yeah, it's confidence thing. Although yeah. we have said before um, that there is this thing in, uh, is it called Lizardman's Constant or something like that, yeah. where in any survey you will get a percent who will just give a ridiculous right. answer. Um, well, I did oh, wonder I whether people, because it was an online this survey, it wasn't a person asking my eye to eye. So you wonder people had a bit too much to drink. They think, oh, I'll just put. Yeah. But there was another thing at the other end of the spectrum on this survey, because, you know, people not identifying where their brain is sounds mad. I also would like to call a slight doubt over the 24% of people, quite high, who claimed they could confidently identify where their pancreas was. Oh, no. And I think, no, come on, come on. No. like I know it's in the middle section, yeah. but yeah, yeah. 
But where? But where? Yeah, well, like the spleen. Point. That was the one. Twenty percent claimed to know where their spleen was. I wouldn't yeah. have any idea. Would Give you? Give me a break. Yeah. Twenty yeah. percent are not spleen doctors. What's the term? I don't know. <laughs> Splenologists. What's a speleologist? That's a cave diver. Oh no, that's been a terrible mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, he's going to carry out the operation anyway. Uh, He says it'll be just like a cave, probably. He's never (laughs) been in an anal canal before. (laughs) I tend to do a lot of these things now when I'm trying to get access to a news article online. They often, a lot of websites will have like, just fill this quick survey in quickly. and and, Do you know where your rectum is? (laughs) (laughs) What kind of websites are you trying to get onto, Dan? Please turn on your webcam. (laughs) Show us your rectum. I find it interesting the don't knows in surveys Mm. as well. And so you go always include the the don't knows. And there was an article about this in Wired a few years ago uh, by a writer called Amit Katwala. And it's a a great point because YouGov did a survey about surfing, right? Mm. Have you ever been surfing or not? Mm. In which 3% of people said, I don't know. (laughs) And it's a big thing to... To not know yeah. if you've tried, know. If you've tried yeah. surfing. Two um, percent don't know if they've lived in London. <laughs> <laughs> they could be on the outskirts. Possible. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Or born in London but left straight away. Oh, I don't know if we lived there for a couple mm. of months. Okay, here's one from 2023. Do you and your romantic partner each have your own side of the bed that you sleep on? Okay. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have currently have a partner, please think about the last partner you had. Seventy-seven yeah, percent. Yeah. We each have our own side. Four percent. Chaotic. We sleep on whichever side. Absolutely <laughs> insane. <laughs> But 6% don't know. Yeah. Mm. How do you not know? I would say it would be different depending on which bed you're sleeping in. Like in our home bed, we sleep on the same size. Right. But if you go to a hotel... Then it's anything goes. Completely. Well, exactly. Completely. Well, it's not. It's whatever my wife wants to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in 2017, a survey found that half of British gardeners cannot name a single shrub. And the next year, in 2018, a poll found that 80% of Britons couldn't pick out their own neighbours in a police lineup. I thought that was quite strange. That's wow. That is interesting. And how did they test that? Did they do some lineups? <laughs> I'd like to know that. Yes, that'd be great. It was in the Daily Mail, though, so maybe yeah. it's. Yeah. Um, can you name a shrub? Because <sighs> I think shrub is that like a specific type of plant is a shrub. Yeah, yes. I agree. I mean, I garden, and you know, what's is there, I have is something ho- that looks like a shrub, which is an azalea. Is that a shrub? I is don't it, know. Is a little Leylandi bush a shrub? A bush is a part of the body, isn't it? I think. That's- <laughs> <laughs> Most people don't know where that is. I don't know where their bush is. <laughs> well, yeah. let's think of a shrub. It must be a shrub. Is a laurel? Is that a, or is that Ooh, a tree? I think that's a shrub. Is it? I think it's a size thing, isn't it? Mm. Over a certain size, a shrub becomes a tree. I think we've shown that this is a very difficult thing to yeah. know. <laughs> we always, always, John. When you're on the show, we get into the deep questions. <laughs> Can sure. I do one more survey? Just this is a silly survey. It's not really that much on topic, but um, there was a poll quite recently about what. Britons aged 18 to 29, so this is young people, oh, yeah. according to the survey. Uh, what is the least cool hand gesture a person can make? Oh, that's Just great. That a good quiz. Yeah, you know? okay, cool. Um, okay, can I have a punt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the peace sign is not cool. Oh, do you know? I do that all the time. I do it all the time, but I just don't. <laughs> I, I don't do think it's time. cool. Oh, know? okay. I think I love possibly the horns, the uh, the rock horns. Oh, the, that's metal. like a, a cuckold in Southern Europe. Oh, yeah. Is it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, no, it's Caref- not that. Careful at Southern European Metallica gigs, which I know you love to go to, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> um, the thumbs, the up. thumbs up. Thumbs up. Ah, uh, thumbs up. That was in the poll. It wasn't mm. the worst, but a lot of people thought it was quite cringe. A okay. 
That was cringe, but not the worst. The phone, call In me. fact, the double A-OK is, is one of the most cringeworthy Ooh. signs. Air quotes. Are they the, <laughs> oh, the, the most good. naff? I actually think if anyone had thought of that, they would have gone for it. Uh, John, do you want to have a guess? Or? Wanking. <laughs> oh, yeah, like a, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Philippa Perry. <laughs> <laughs> she basically answered the word wank for every question we asked her when she came on the show. <laughs> um, it is... And this is 38% of people said this. It's playing an air guitar. Oh. oh. Like a Wild Stallion's sort yeah, of Bill yeah. and Ted oh. thing. That is yeah. pretty embarrassing. Oh, come on. It's cool. <laughs> okay. How old are you, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> the, the right age <laughs> to know that's cool. Uh. Uh, rectum? Okay, let's talk rectums. Um, um, the US Consumer Product Safety Commission every year do a list of things that have been found in people's orifices. Really? Yeah, the 2022 list include a Monopoly piece, um, a reusable ice pack, a fishing pole. No. Mm. <laughs> it can't have been the entire pole. Well, they're collapsible, well, they're aren't they? They collapse, yeah. Oh, yeah. do they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay, well, it could have been that. Uh, and in other orifices, a golf ball in the vagina, an expensive coin from a coin collection in someone's throat, and a USB cord in someone's penis. Oh, a USB. Yeah. <laughs> really. You've got to make sure you put it in the right way round. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, there was a guy also, a 68-year-old man um, with hemorrhoids in Hubei province in China uh, who had to have a 10-inch chopstick uh, pulled out of his anus, which he put up there. He said, "Out of curiosity." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I haven't listened to the Museum of Curiosity this series. John, is that? <laughs> I'd like to donate this chopstick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and just while I was talking about um, emergency visits in 2022, I found a list of quite a few. Here are some. Um, this is in the US. Pain after rubbing penis too hard with a loofah. Playing with pocket knife, accidentally stabbed penis, Ooh. closed penis in fridge door, <laughs> and watched football, got excited when team scored, and accidentally punched self in penis. Oh. <laughs> they were all ER visits in the US last year. That's amazing. Okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Shriverland, James. At James Harkin. Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. And John. Ooh, uh, John Lloyd QI at Instagram. Oh, yeah, of course. I don't, I don't have a Twitter account. Yeah, yeah, or at Wikipedia, I guess, for like the total hub. Um, but yeah, find find Lloydie on Instagram. Can we do Instagrams? Yeah. yeah. I've done that before. That's a good point. Well, I'm on at Triberland. I'm on no such thing as James Harkin. Mine is private. You'll never find it. <laughs> <laughs> and mine is at John Lloyd QI. All right. And uh, we don't have a fish Instagram, but we do have a fish Twitter account, which is at no such thing. Or you can go to our website, which is no such thing as a fish.com. Do check it out. All the previous episodes are up there. And that's it for now. We'll be back again next week with another episode. Thank you, John, for officially opening the new QI offices and podcasting headquarters. Daniel. And uh, yeah, we'll be back again next week with another episode. We'll see you then. Goodbye. <laughs>